Welcome to week seven of movement. In this collection, we have been talking about how following Jesus requires action. It requires you to move in this way, this direction. So in our moving, what are we meant to do? Over the first few weeks, you know that we talked about the big church, like church globally, church corporately. What does it look like to be a healthy part of a healthy church? And then we dialed in on what it means to be a part of this church. What do we believe here in this church? What are our core values? Each one of us contributing to this kaleidoscope. Each one of us offering a piece that when we're all in sync, when we're all moving together, creates something so, so beautiful. And over the last few weeks, as we've been looking at our core values, we've talked about being Christ-centered. If Jesus is at the center of our church, if Jesus is the reason that we do anything, then we should also be community crafted. We should also be empowered by God to connect with one another and connect with the community, the city around us. And today we're going to hone in on our third core value. But I hope that you have enjoyed unpacking these big ideas in villages. I hope that you are learning and growing within this family um, so that together we can do more. We can go further. So together I want us to look at what it means today to be audaciously generous. Of all our core values, I would guess that this one is the easiest to understand, but the most difficult to practice. This is the one where we experience the most unique and beautiful things, where we get to have these corporate experiences together, but somehow there's this disconnect that makes this one just a little bit more difficult than the rest of them. But here at Village Heights, we define audacious generosity like this. We are generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, brazenly responding with blessings to our neighborhood, other philanthropic initiatives, and global needs. Because of this, we are service-oriented, action-committed, and socially responsible. Sounds great, right? Sounds so good. Like someone so smart wrote that and like laid it all out so perfectly and put it on our website. And it was the first time that anyone ever had this idea, like brand new idea, right? No. All of our core values come from scripture. This is not something that we made up. We are not that smart. Like if it sounds good, it's not us because we're not that smart. We just know that there's a really good book that says a lot of really good things that we should really build our life around. So this is what it says in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 34. Luke is writing about Paul's last encounter with the elders of the church of Ephesus. And this is what he shares as his final encounter. So we need to keep in mind that this is Paul speaking to people that he knew and loved very well. And scripture even tells us that right after this happens, right after he leaves his final encouragement, the last thing they do is all hug and pray and cry and say their final goodbyes because they know they're not going to be together again. So Paul, in all of his wisdom, in all of his forethought, knew, if I'm going to leave these guys that I love so much, this is the last thing I need to tell them. Sounds pretty important. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. This is Paul. Like, wrote half the Bible Paul, very big deal. 
And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus understood. Paul understood. The early church understood. I personally find the most understanding even in my own kids. Last week, Bill talked about how if you ever want to know how selfish you are, just look at a two-year-old, right? The most selfish people on earth are toddlers. We are all born with the innate ability to be incredibly selfish. But I think we're also born with the innate ability to be incredibly loving. Yes, we talk a lot to our kids about make sure you're sharing, make sure you're thinking of others, but there's something about the joy that comes from giving, from being generous, from investing in other people that you don't necessarily have to teach, that we are just born with, that's just in us. Somewhere along the way, something happens that makes us flip the switch, that jades us a little bit where we think, you know, it would be easier right now if I were just selfish. There's a balance between being selfish and being loving that's this internal struggle. In this moment, in this experience, in this instance, will I choose selfishness or will I choose love? My two sons go to a dual language immersion school, and this is important for the next part of the story. So my kids, if you've never met them, you will be able to pick them out of a crowd because they look exactly like this. Blonde hair, blue eyes, pale skin. There's no mistaking that they are my kids. Copy, paste, copy, paste. But they both speak Spanish, which is just really entertaining for people to see for the first time when like these very unassuming kids all of a sudden start speaking Spanish. So our oldest is in fifth grade, and he's been at this school since he was in pre-K. So now he is to the point where he is pretty fluent in Spanish. And over the last like year or so, we've really noticed that even conversationally, so it's not just like he can read and write, like he can also carry on conversations in Spanish, which is just so cool. And like such a great blessing when we live in Houston, like for our kids to be bilingual, it's amazing. So a few months ago, we were at Levy Park. It's one of the coolest parks in the city. So much to do. It's always crowded, um, always a lot going on there, just a really fun space to be. And we're there with our kids, and this one little boy stood out more than any others because every single kid there was just, it looked like somebody stepped on an ant pile. Like they were just, just everywhere. But this one little boy was just still, almost frozen. Like he was very overwhelmed and like unaware of what needed to happen. So I notice it, but didn't really say anything. And I look down at our youngest, and then I look back up and realize that our oldest is now talking to this little boy. And I'm far enough away that I can't hear their conversation and all of a sudden, he runs off to the um, craft cart that they have there, and he grabs a bunch of sidewalk chalk and comes back to the little boy and hands a handful to him, and they sit down and they start coloring. And so as they're coloring, I get a little bit closer, and I'm able to hear my son is talking to him in Spanish. And I was like, first of all, I didn't know you could do that. Like, that was very, this was honestly like one of the first times that I was like, oh, wow, like you, it's sticking. Like, you're actually learning Spanish. But then I was just so amazed that somehow he knew this little boy needed to be spoken to in Spanish. So I let it happen and don't want to interrupt what's happening because it was just so cute. And then a few minutes later, they get up and they run off. And that little boy who was frozen just a few minutes ago is grinning from ear to ear, chasing after my kids. 
And I was like, wow, that is so cool to get to see. So we get in the car and I'm like, Gage, how did you know that little boy needed to be spoken to in Spanish? Like what, what made you aware of that? And he goes, oh, I just heard his grandma talking to him in Spanish about playing and he responded a little nervous. So I knew it was my job to like go and help him. Like that was something that I could offer. And I was like, they're hearing me. They're listening, like they're getting it. I think we are all born with that desire to love people where they're at, to speak the language that they speak, both literally and figuratively, that we have this desire to be generous with everything that God has put inside of us, with everything that God has put in our hands, that we are constantly in the in-between of do I need to be selfish or do I need to be loving? What a beautiful perspective that we're all born with the propensity to love others and to live a life of generosity. But somewhere along the way, something inevitably happens that makes us jaded, shifting our mindset from one of abundance to one of scarcity. Abundance tells us there is always enough. Scarcity tells us there is never enough. And if we translate that to our faith, a scarcity mindset turns our faith away from an all-knowing, all-powerful, always-providing God. It makes us look back inward into ourselves and focused on only what matters to us. But an abundance mindset is complete faith in a loving God who is always generous and stretches us to do the same. Last week, Bill used a pie analogy, and if you were in a village, you got to talk about it a little bit more, where we use this pie analogy to discover what gifts we have to offer, what character we have to offer to the community. Um, and I love pie, so I didn't want him to be the only one that got to talk about pie. So I have brought another pie analogy just for those of you who are hungry right now and want to hear me talk about pie. So imagine we're all at one table, like one giant table and we're all seated. Everybody in this room is seated at the table and somebody walks up and places in front of me a standard like nine inch pie. That pie is not big enough for everybody in this room, like already. Okay, already we're working under a handicap here with the size of this pie. But imagine I, in my desire for dessert, which is usually very strong, I cut like a quarter of this pie. And I'm like, man, this looks so good. And I like scoop it out and like apple is like dripping down. If you like apple pie, this is good. And apple's like dripping down. It's so good. And I put it on my plate and I just go to town. Okay, scarcity mindset would make you look at that and go, lady, I came for dessert. I expected dessert and you have eaten all of the dessert. That's scarcity mindset. An abundant mindset would look at it and go, you know what? There's pie everywhere. Like, we can walk to HEB and get 10 more pies right now. Like, enjoy it. Dig in. Go ahead. There is always enough. Our response to the internal struggle between love and selfishness, this shift in mindset, is why I began our time together by acknowledging that this aspect of following Christ is so easy to understand, but so difficult to practice. I want to look at another portion of scripture where Paul is encouraging the church, but we have to understand the context of this next passage. Paul was trying, like from a pastoral role, was trying to encourage the church in Corinth to give 
to the Jerusalem church. So this one city to give to the big church, like the big umbrella fund. And what he did to do that was he talked to them about the Macedonians. And why this is important is because the church in Corinth would have understood and would have already had a little bit of knowledge about the deep, dark poverty that those in Macedonia were experiencing. And yet, Paul explains to them, you know what they're experiencing. You know what they're going through. And yet, they gave a massive gift. So Paul was bragging on their brothers and sisters in the next city over to help inspire what was true generosity. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what Paul says. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the church in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. When was the last time we were comfortable with giving like that? Never. When was the last time that we were like, that sounds super easy and totally simple? That's not in our human nature. And Paul continues, and they did it of their own free will. Nobody forced them to do this. They, because of their overflowing joy, begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was, and here's the important part, to give themselves to the Lord and then to the church, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. So Paul's looking at what they've done already. He's like, you did a good job. That was a really solid effort. But now we've seen what God is doing in Macedonia, and we're realizing you could do more. Not because we care about the dollar amount, because we see what's happening in their faith journey. We see what's happening as they overflow with joy in the midst of struggles. And we want you, Corinth, to experience that too. So we're going to send Titus back, and we're going to pass the plates one more time, because we think you need to give a little bit more. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul's like, you're doing a good job. You're, you're getting close to firing on all cylinders. If you can just make this one tweak, if you can just take this next step, if you can just push a little bit further, if you can just hurt a little bit more, get a little bit more uncomfortable, man, what joy you will be overflowing with, what experiences you will get to have. When we lead the way with audacious generosity, it's because we have truly bought into the mindset that it is more blessed to give than to receive, that we get to experience that joy. So if you had to give yourself a score right now, on a scale from one to 10, you don't have to tell anybody you don't have to say it out loud. If you want to write it down, you can. If you want to commit it to memory, you can. But let's just say 10 is like Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Like we sing that because he did. He gave it all, gave his life, everything he had. He's a 10. You're not a 10, okay? You're also not a one, though. Like let's not be deprecating. Like one is like the devil who hates us all, doesn't want anything good to happen. He wants to take it all away. So you're not a one. 
Somewhere in between there is where you land. Where would you be on a scale from one to 10? And then where would you like to be by the end of the year? Where would you like to be by the end of the year? If you could just experience God in a new way, that would be awesome. If you could see lives change a little bit more around you, that would be awesome. So where are you now and where would you like to be? I want to bring people into what God is doing. So how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be in the next two months? What level of Christian like, do we need to be? Like if we're at a two and we want to get to a three, like how many more boxes do we need to check? Like what feelings do we need to feel to feel like we're actually being generous? Like what are the feelings that we feel? What do we need to do to get from where we are to where we want to be? This is what Isaiah 32 says. Generous people plan. Generous people make a plan to do what is generous, and then they stand firm, unwaveringly, in their generosity. So first, we make a plan and decide that generosity is not something we do, it's who we are. The reason we describe giving of anything at Village Heights as being audaciously generous is because we believe it is a heart issue. It's not about just dropping a few dollars in the bucket. It's about your time, your talent, your treasure, all-encompassing. What are you doing with the resources that God has given you to give back to him? And we see examples throughout scripture. In just a few weeks, we'll start talking about the wise men. What did the wise men do? They were southern and hospitable and showed up with hostess gifts. Like they came to meet the king of kings and they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But not one time do we read about them going, okay, baby, what are you going to give us? We brought you a present. Cough it up. Like that's not what happened. What about the woman who worshiped Jesus at the dinner table and knelt before him and washed his feet with this expensive perfume? She didn't like then stand up and go, okay, Jesus, you know how much that cost? What are you going to do for me now? No, we see these examples in scripture as acts of worship. That from the depths of who they are, because they were Christ-centered, and they wanted to reflect that in being community crafted, and how they did that was by being audaciously generous, it was an act of worship. They didn't give to expect something in return. It was simply because they loved God. They loved Jesus, and they wanted to be closer. Here's what it says in Malachi chapter 3. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then in verse 10 it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God said, I double dog dare you. Just try it. Just try what I'm telling you to do and see what happens. This is one of those passages in scripture that is so often taken out of context. Even the church I grew up in as a kid, I heard this taken out of context every single Sunday. Because we like to think the principle is if you give money, God will give you money back. Like it's a money back guarantee. 
I think there is a level of a money-back guarantee where God is saying, if you are generous, if you have a heart leaned towards generosity, I will pour things out on you. But what this scripture is saying is not like dollar for dollar, God will give it back. What it's saying is, if your heart is generous, God will pour out love and joy and peace and wisdom in your life in ways that you never even expected. Yes, there will be moments where on paper financially your life doesn't make sense. Where like an accountant would look at it and go, I don't know. And you go, I know, it's God. Yes, that happens. But what this scripture is saying is about your heart. It's talking about your intention. Do you love God in this way? Do you worship God in this way? Are you investing in your relationship with him? He'll invest back. I remember the first time um, I paid tithe. If you've never met me before or if you don't know very much about me, I am a very organized person. I like binders with tabs and Excel spreadsheets and things like that. And half the room just like, I lost you all. You're like, that sounds horrible. I love it. I love organization. So much so that my favorite part of my first job was getting a checkbook. I loved, do you guys remember checkbooks? No? Okay. So a checkbook, you open it up and there's checks and you write a check. And then at the very back, there's a ledger. And the ledger is the important part because then when you write a check, you put it in your ledger and that's how you know what your bank account is. This was like where there wasn't really online banking, but there kind of was, but I preferred the checkbook because I could like, see, I could get my little pen and I could see it and it was just so much fun for me. I'm a weirdo. It's fine. So my very first job, do you remember your first job? What's the first thing that happens when you get your check? Why is the government taking so much of my money? I am 16. Why do I need to pay into Social Security? Why are there so many taxes? Like, where did half my check go? So once that shock wears off, then, okay, now I'm going to write a check to my church for tithe. 16-year-old Hannah was very excited about that. So I get to church the next Sunday because this was like, you didn't do it online. You wrote a check or you had cash. So I get to church, and I remember pulling out my checkbook and writing my little tithe check, and I did 10% wrong because I'm terrible at math, and then my mom had to tell me, like, move the decimal over. Like, it's not a dollar. It's $12. Like, you, you were a little bit off. And I deposit my check into the offering plate. And while I was overwhelmed by all of my money is now gone, all of this money that I've worked so hard for is now the government and the church has it all, I still remember that feeling of, but God's the one that gave me the ability to have this job at all. My very first job was at Linens and Things, if you don't remember that. It was like Bed Bath & Beyond, but they went under. And so I had all of this knowledge and all of these things and all of these opportunities, but God's the one that gave it all to me anyway. So no, I wasn't rolling in the dough by any means, but for me, I got to do my part. I got to contribute. I got to worship God in that way. Not the money that my parents gave me. I'm like, make sure you put it in the offering. Like my own independence, my own money. And I very quickly learned that 90% of what was left over after everything got taken away, 90% blessed always went further than 100% trying to do it on my own. That there was something about bringing my puzzle piece to the house and going, God, what are you making with this picture? What are you allowing me to be a part of? that changed my life forever, and it's why I will never not tithe. But that's like the minimum requirement. We're not talking necessarily about just tithing. Tithing is what shifts your heart. We're talking about audacious generosity that takes you over and above that, where it's just got to hurt a little bit. So how do we do that? How do we 
practice that. Like, okay, I get it. You want us to be generous. You want us to give our money. You want us to give our time. You want us to use our talents. You want our hearts to worship God in that way. How, though? Like, if I only have an hour, if I only have $100, if I only have just a handful of talents, how do I do it? One practical thing that we practice in our family um, and that we also practice as the pastors of this church is called rounding up. Sounds revolutionary, right? Like really difficult to understand. We round up. Anytime we are afforded the opportunity to do something generous, we do a little bit more. We round up. When we're doing action groups, you see this really clearly laid out because our first conversation with nonprofits is, what do you need? What's your greatest need right now? And it's always something big-ish, slightly attainable. And then we ask them, okay, but what's your dream? Like, what's the big dream? Like, if you could have anything, what would it be? That's a roundup, big time. Because there has never been a single action group that we went into going, oh, we're fully equipped to handle this. We know exactly what we're doing. We have never been in any position to know what we were doing, to have the resources, to have the finances. And so because we're talking about this today, I wanted to share a video with you guys. We are in the middle of redoing our website. It's about to get a lot more efficient, a lot more effective, and our action group page um, is about to be a landing page for anything that you could ever want to know about any group that we've ever done. You're gonna be able to find it on that page. And so we're starting to collect these videos and I brought one of them to share with you because we're talking about generosity. And I think our friend Bob from Hope Center Houston just describes it so well, like better than I ever could because he's much smarter than I am. Um, so let's just for a few minutes hear what Bob has to say. Hey, I'm Bob Butler. I was the director at Hope Center Houston for several years when we had the privilege of meeting the Village Height group. Bill came out, took a tour of the building and said, what do you... What do you need? And what we wanted was just a PA system to work on our main floor. But as he asked about our dream, uh, we took him up to the second floor and said, well, there's this big open space that we would really like to have made into a chapel. We want to create a, a church for our homeless people here. Went back to his team, the Village Heights team, and uh, they drew up some plans and came back and said, could we do this? And I said, well, uh, I don't know. Can you do this? This is big. Studs went up, sheetrock went up, lighting got changed. We, we had an old glue down carpet that was a real pain in the butt. Uh, they had to scrape that up and that took a while. And they laid down new flooring. When they finished, there was a sound booth, there was video uh, equipment, there were screens for uh, visual display. It was an amazing, beautiful worship space. But they weren't content. They wanted to do more. And so there was another little room adjacent to it that was just empty and uh, asked if they could make that into a prayer room. And so they painted the room, decorated the room, put in furniture, and uh, made a beautiful little prayer space for us but that wasn't enough, they wanted to do more. We had a little medical clinic that was kind of boring and they uh, went off and painted that and decorated that and made it look more beautiful than uh, we ever imagined it could be. 
And that wasn't enough because now there are hallways on the second floor that were kind of bland and boring. And so they ended up taking um, pictures that we had collected, printed them in these beautiful, framed them all. And I don't know how many there are, maybe 50, 70, all around the hallway, pictures of the Hope Center at work blew us away. Um, and they did it with such grateful hearts. And uh, they'd come in uh, at night after work and on weekends when they could. They brought their kids when they needed to and took care of their kids. And um, we were just amazed by the spirit that they brought to it and the, the professional quality of the work. Uh, nobody would have done better than, than this team did. The whole experience with um, Village Heights to us was a blessing. They encouraged us when things were slow at the Hope Center. This was during the pandemic time and there wasn't a whole lot going on. They came in and uh, it was such an encouragement to all of us who were a little bit weary at the time. And I'm sure they were weary by the time it was finished because they worked hard and long hours and we are so grateful. Just a handful of people six years ago who said maybe we could make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And now because the God moves in his people, God brings his people together to do what's on his heart. And I'm convinced that we sense that. And churches all over the area came together to support it. And uh, their volunteers make it happen. The Hope Center only has two paid employees, but over a hundred volunteers that make all of this happen on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, I'm just blown away when I see what God has done and what Village Heights has done and rounding out that second floor for us has, uh, is just nothing short of a miracle. Hope Center was the recipient of one of the action groups at Village Heights Church that totally transformed our building, encouraged our hearts and ministers constantly to our homeless population. My favorite part of that video is when he's listing off, like, they showed up to do this, and they weren't happy, they had to do this, and then they did that, and they weren't happy, and they had to do this, and then he ends it with, and no one could have done a better job. While I love bragging on Village Heights, and I will do that until I have no more breath in my lungs, it's not really to brag on us, it's to brag on God. Like, what God is able to do when we are audaciously generous, when we round up, when we believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, we get to see God show up and show off. And I think the disconnect for faith is that we can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't taste it, we can't smell it, except for with audacious generosity. Audacious generosity is taking the tangible and tying it to our faith, taking something that's such a big, hairy idea that seems so unattainable and putting it in the palm of our hands, giving us a perfect example of what it looks like to love like Jesus. And that will always translate into something amazing because God said, test me, try it. Just try it and see if I don't pour out blessings on your life. And I want to be a part of a church where people believe 
that everything they have belongs to God, that we are not entitled to wealth, but we are entrusted with it to make a difference, where we are people that understand how much more blessed it is to give than to receive, and that who much is given, much is expected. People who give their tithe, their offering, who meet needs in a way that leaves the general public scratching their heads and wondering how we were ever able to make that happen. But here's the good part of today's message. I don't want you to like get all the feels and take you on an emotional roller coaster and let you hear from Bob and get like all excited and then be like, stay tuned for our next action group in 2023. Good luck. Like may the Lord be with you, whatever. Like, no, I have an opportunity for you today. If you want to try being audaciously generous today, I have an opportunity for you. Because we believe that tithing is just what we do to keep the church surviving. But we don't want to just survive, we want to thrive. So we do things like action groups to take all of us further than we could ever go on our faith journey alone. So this time of year, we do something called turkey baskets. And turkey baskets allow us to feed families all across this city. We partner with the wraparound specialist at several of our local schools so that they can tell us who are the families in your school most in need. Who are the families at many of these schools, Title I, who are the families in your school who will not be able to have Thanksgiving this year? So those are the families who receive turkey baskets. We don't know them personally. We do know the wraparound specialist personally, and they know these families personally. They connect them with us. They get them registered. Then we collect all the groceries, pack it up perfectly in bags, and then they show up on the Saturday before Thanksgiving. We load it in their car. We ask them if we can pray with them, and we send them on their way. Not only do we give them Thanksgiving, but we everything they need to make Thanksgiving, but we also give them groceries for the week because a lot of these families are dependent on breakfast and lunch at school. Well, now their kids are home all week, and some of these families have two, three, four, five, six kids that they have to feed all week long. So we try to do as much as we possibly can to support these families, knowing that this is how they experience the love of Jesus. These are people who might never come to our church, and that's fine. Because on Saturday, November 19th, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will experience the love of God like never before. And I think it's so cool that that happens with a frozen turkey. That's so cool. And you wanna talk about audacious generosity, so we've, do, we've done this project, I think, for seven years, six or seven years, several years in a row. Back in August, someone from our church who just so happens to own a restaurant um, calls Bill and said, hey, are we doing turkey baskets again this year? Bill was like, absolutely. Great. How many do you think we're going to do? Uh, 100 to 130. Okay, well, would you mind if I went ahead and ordered the turkeys from my supplier? That would be awesome. Great. Would you mind if I just went ahead and paid for them? That would be awesome. Uh, would you mind if I stored them in our large freezers and then just delivered them on the day? Yes, please. <laughs> so now Bill and I do not have to beg, barter, and steal frozen turkeys from places. And we've never stolen, okay, we've, we've never stolen a turkey. We've always paid for them. But it's just been a little, you know, fudge the line a little bit to try to make these turkeys happen. And so this year that's all taken care of. And somebody else in our church was like, you know what? 
The IKEA bags work really well. This project really should be called Turkey IKEA bags because that's what we use because they work really well. But someone in our church was like, I love the IKEA bags. I think they work well. But wouldn't it be cooler if we had like our own bags that were more like encouraging, kind of branded and directed people back to our church instead of to IKEA? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, would you mind if we just went ahead and like designed them and, and ordered them and paid for them? Is that okay with you? Yes, please. Like that's totally fine. Each one of us has a part to play. Your part might just be, I got five cans of green beans. That's a huge help. Your part might be, I paid for all the turkeys. You get an extra gold star because that's phenomenal. But each one of us have a part to play. Each one of us can go to the grocery store and pick up a few items. Each one of us can make a donation to the Turkey Basket Fund. And then together, collectively, because we have all rounded up, 120 families will have Thanksgiving this year that wouldn't have otherwise, if not for Village Heights. That's what it looks like to be audaciously generous. I'm gonna pray and then Bill's gonna come and tell us a little bit more about turkey baskets. We pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And we are overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by all that you do to challenge us and change us and to shape us into people who love like you love. God, would you show us the areas in our lives where we can be more generous? Would you illuminate the next step on our path towards being people more like you, being the people you have called us to be? And Lord, would you already be with every single one of these families who will receive a turkey and Thanksgiving groceries in just a few weeks? God, would you already prepare their hearts for what you are about to do in their lives and in their families. And God, while you're at it, would you prepare us too for what you are about to allow us to be a part of? Challenge us, God. Change us. Let us be a part of seeing miraculous life change all around us. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.